Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves. Happy Tuesday to you as we broadcast live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard. It is Tuesday, February 20th. Good morning. Bob, how are you? I'm feeling good. Um, And I stayed up a little late last night because I wanted to watch that – Iowa State Houston game, and um, I was a little worried how that was going to feel this morning, but I feel good. Might be the weather, you know. I mean, this, even though it's cold, it's that seeing a little bit of light now in the morning, I think that makes a huge difference. So uh, I'm feeling all right. How about you? Good to go over here. Nothing to complain about. Slept fine. Up and at it. Brought Sam breakfast. You declined my invitation. And now I got regret. I'm going to eat it here nice and slowly in front of you. <laughs> I've got my little piece of cheese that's going to tide me over all morning. A little rat over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got Sam a biscuit sitting there. I called Bob. I said, Bob, you want a bit, You want anything from Chick-fil-A? No, no, I'm fine. Got my cheese. <laughs> I'll be all right. And I said, you sure? He's like, yeah, thanks for the offer. I said, okay, You snooze, you lose. So then I, I just told John when I hung up, I was like, about 30 seconds later, I was like, man, not sure like a biscuit. That does sound good, but, you know. I got my $4 orange juice sitting here. Mm. Mm. $4. Never been an orange juice guy. My son loves it, but i just never gotten into it. I can't afford to drink it, usually. It's just a once, a, once every quarter treat. Yeah. Cash in on those reward points, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I never get those reward points. All I get from Eddie over here is a free delivery that I never use. Yeah. Yeah, I get those in the I game. get so damn mad when I get those emails. Special gift for you. Yeah. And I, my dumb ass goes, well, let's see what it is this time. Maybe it's a biscuit. <laughs> no, free delivery. Oh, thanks, Eddie. Free delivery on the on the menu that you then hike up, you know, a couple dollars. Thank you. Every time, every time I get the email, every time, well, let's see what it is this time. <laughs> Definitely not going to be something nice and delicious. Nope, it's the same old free delivery. They've got people just totally hypnotized, and I'm one of them. But uh, on the drive last week, I think last Friday, they did a poll on who has the best chicken sandwich, and they, they like, run away with it, you know? And there's other good chicken sandwiches yeah. that I think everybody just kind of thinks – that's top of mind, man. It always is. I got to be honest. It's kind of the only chicken sandwich I eat fast food. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, like, I, I, I know the Popeyes had the craze for a bit. It was good. It was solid. It was a good sandwich. Outside of that, like, I don't go to McDonald's and get a chicken sandwich. I had before. It was solid, whatever. It's fine. But I'm 
might get a burger if I go there. I think Houston started the whole thing because he had a Bojangles one and said that's like the best he's had. I don't even know Bojangles served lunch, to be honest. I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever eaten lunch at Bojangles. Maybe once. I'll take that back. I knew they had lunch. They, they, yeah. They like the KFC, like, take a type of chicken and all that. Yeah, sure. Like, whatever. But I never eat it. The Bowberry biscuit? You ever had that? Too sweet. But yeah, I didn't love it. But Delicacy. Yeah. They had one right next to, across from my high school. So, like, whenever I'd be 10 or 15 minutes late, my first period teacher was Jim. He'd be like, just bring me a biscuit. We'll be even. So I'd always That's have a good deal. Yeah, that was the kind of deal with everybody. I, I think it helped him gain a little weight. Yeah. Apologies to Coach Howard if he's listening. But but that was kind of his deal. Like, yeah, you show up late. Just bring me some food. We'll call it even. I'm like, all right. Fair enough. Then I'd always get the bullberry biscuit. But I was like, it's too sweet. Because I don't really like, I don't like the other chicken biscuits either. I've tried theirs too. I don't like it. I don't like the Hardy's chicken biscuit. I don't know. It's... Chick-fil-A does do it right, I will say, despite how annoying their their drive-thru is and how annoying the uh, the emails about free delivery are. I will say they, they do a good job. The great irony is when you have these kind of conversations, the name that never pops up is like the OG of it all, which was Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I never even think of them at this point. I had a nice little run for a bit when I lived close to one where I would <laughs> – Stop by, and I, I wouldn't get, like, a sandwich or anything, but I'd, I'd get, like, you know, the tenders. The tenders are pretty solid. I'd get those, but I don't know. You ever think the employees are just overly too nice? At Chick-fil-A? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I don't want to have to tell you thank you, like, four different times and act like this is the best transaction of my life. I got told to have the greatest day of my life the oh, last time no, I went there. No, the, the question. the question. guy? <laughs> yeah. He always tells me that, too, and I always just be like, Way ahead of you, brother. Or <laughs> I was like, similar. you too, man. <laughs> yeah. He's nice. I will he's say, nice, yeah. I, I will say I do like that guy, but I know who you're talking about because he always says the same thing. And I don't know if he's being ironic and trying to just be over the top or if that's just how they get down there. I don't know. He might, yeah. But, yeah, he does tell me that, and I like him. I like him all right. The people over there, I will say there's a couple that I see frequently because, like, we, we work so close to it. So, like, I kind of only have two or three things in rotation that I eat, and that's one of them. And I do like the people over there. We have a little rapport. We have a little rapport because I guess I eat there too much. They know your your order? Same as Jersey like, Mike's. Well, I always do the app. No, no, no. I always do the app. Okay. No, come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I might be a boomer, but I, I, I use the app. I use the app. And I get mad at the people in front of me who don't use the app. And the same guy will be like, I got a mobile pickup. He's like, of course you do because you're fabulous. <laughs> of course you do because you're the best ever. Says things like that to him. Like, yeah, you're right about that, brother. I got one guy who knows me there, calls me Mr. Bob. Nice. Um, and then, but then also always dovetails, dovetails into, what, what what do you got planned for today? Big plans for today? And it's like, no, man, don't, I don't, uh, you're very courteous and that's good, but let's leave it at that. We, <laughs> we don't need to get into personal <laughs> yeah. relationships yeah. in our inner, inner workings of our life. He might be wanting a job or something. He might be networking. You never know. Uh, maybe. That's Mr. Bob. Well. Be nice to him when he comes through. Needs to start shuffling some free biscuits then. Sliding a couple. Yeah. I, I had a guy at Hardy's. I had a guy at Hardy's over in Farragut where I lived. He he would sh- uh, slide me some free biscuits in exchange. Like, hey, bro, just go do this survey and give me a shout out. Tell me I did it. Tell him I did a good job. I'm like, got it. <laughs> or if like it was even like a three minute wait or something. Like, I'm so sorry for the wait. Don't worry about it. It's on me. Like, that's kind of cool. I, I feel like if I worked fast food, that's what I would do. Just give free food out all the time. What are they gonna do? Fire me? Go to a different place. That would be the cool guy mm-hmm. in the drive-thru giving out. 
the cool people yeah. free food. That's what that's what I'm going to do. Although we did cross the line yesterday at Jersey Mike's. Cause everyone knows I go to Jersey Mike's every Monday. You can find me in there sometime around 11:15 or so. Which if I was a if I was if I had enemies, you know, if I was watching Sopranos the other night, if, if they were trying to get a hit out of me, they would know Way where to find easy. me. 11:15, <laughs> they'd, they'd clip me coming right outside of Jersey Mike's because this guy's got a routine every Monday. But yeah, we we crossed over with a different shift because they, they have a lot of people in there working, and they finally like, oh yeah, it's Monday. We know what you want, and then they started talking about my orders, and we thought guys like for a while. Whenever you just get the mayo and bacon on your club, I thought you thought maybe my hands were dirty, and you didn't want the toppings because my hands were dirty. I was like, no, it wasn't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ring me up, but always leave them a twenty percent tip. I'm like, hey, you guys are my friends. But we haven't made it to the name, or what are we doing later? One guy told me like my shoes, my shoes. He was Whoa. a shoe guy too. We had that going. Um, you just got me thinking when you were talking about if you were working at, <laughs> if you were working fast food, you would say, "What are they going to do? Fire me? I'll just go to the next one." You'd be like the James Harden of uh, that's it. fast food workers. That's just it. Kinda James Hardy's just bounce around, man. You know, just like you need a. A, a, a dynamic, efficient scorer who can go go out and get you twenty points on like eleven shots. You you need you need someone like me to to run the register and to like look like I'm holding things down <laughs> because otherwise you're gonna have kids or people that you look at and you're like I don't know if I quite trust that guy yet. But me, you'd be like, oh, that guy I could trust him. And you know, I'd be like, hey, top of the morning to you. This biscuit, this orange juice is on me. They'd come out and be like, hey, bro, you can't keep giving out the orange juice. That things, those, those things are really expensive. The biscuits, that's fine. We're just losing a dollar. You're giving out the orange juice. That's like $5 a pop. You got to stop that. Whew. Did you watch? anybody watch any of uh, Daytona last night? Not a single second. No. <laughs> Not a lap. Remember how much? Me, me too. I watched the very end, but we talked it up like, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to watch a little of that. I, I, not a, not hardly any of it. Nope. I saw that it ended in a rain ca- or a caution. A rain a, yeah. ended in caution, and that was good enough for me. I'm glad I didn't watch. I'd be so mad if the race ended in caution. It has to be one of the worst things in sports, right, when a race ends and yeah. not even just a, a fake race to the finish line. Because sometimes, you know, there'll just be a nice gap and person kind of cruises, but not even a fake race to the finish line. I had to choose between that or catch up on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's kind of a no-brainer. You all the way caught up? Yes. I still haven't watched the newest episode. Uh, I've I've gotten two down. Spoiler alert, it's great, as usual. Funny as hell. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Got Will Warren coming up in the second hour. Going to talk some Tennessee hoops. Stick with us. Good morning. They're still out here working this 18-wheeler crash on 640 westbound at Broadway. Talk some Tennessee basketball coming up in the show, but Tennessee football made a little news yesterday as they filled some coaching vacancies. Running back coach, linebackers coach, Josh Heupel and Tim Banks went out and got their guys. For linebacker coach, you kind of went with a 
a veteran who's had experience as a co-defensive coordinator for running backs coach. I, I, this guy thought it to be more of an up-and-comer, I guess. So you got William Inch, I guess is how we're going to pronounce that. If not, apologies to William if he's listening. You got him from Washington slash Alabama, a guy that was a co-defensive coordinator at Washington under Kalen DeBoer and had agreed to go and coach, I believe, outside linebackers and special teams at Alabama, but he decided to come to Tennessee instead. And then you went up the road, up by 75, and got your running back coach from Cincinnati in Darrell Sims. Former Carson Newman assistant, has been at Cincinnati where they've had a pretty good rushing attack under his watch. Either one of these stand out to you? Anything interesting in these hires to either one of you, Bob? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, the Inge one, I think, is interesting just from the standpoint, like you said, kind of an up-and-comer, but also has a reputation as, you know, promotes uh, being very, very aggressive, you know, going after the ball, all these other things. So um, I'm, I'm just struck by – uh, with both of them, uh, how quickly Tennessee moved. It, it almost feels like they, you know, I don't want to question how they operate. They they clearly know what they're doing. It's almost like they maybe they work in the mindset of they got to have some people in their back pocket as targets all the time for some of these jobs. Maybe they, maybe they were hearing some stuff happening as far as Brian Jean Mary and um, – Jerry Mack that that was going to be they were potentially on their way out because I was I was pleasantly surprised with how fast they moved yeah they kept talking about how Tim Banks had his Rolodex ready and, and names to call upon and you know I guess the the Jean Mary stuff had, had been out there for maybe a week prior to him actually taking the job so I don't think Tennessee was necessarily caught flat-footed but also, man, you just gotta gotta keep it moving. You, you can't afford, I don't think, to to take a long time to go out and make these position coach hires these days. It just feels like everything is is intensified and there's more pressure under it. Yeah. Coordinator, maybe get a little bit more time to to quote unquote get it right. But even then, you had you know you had to have Washington's coach Kalen DeBoer when he got to Alabama. He had to lie for a month. And basically, like, yeah, we got our offensive coordinator. Don't worry. He's coming. Oh, what's that? He left? Oh, okay. Back to the drawing board. But, yeah, everything just seems high pressure, and you, you got to move quickly. I don't think, like, you lose players when it comes to, like, losing position coaches these days. Uh, I think with the NIL money, that that is important to keeping people locked in. But also, like, position coaches come and go. I, I think most players know that. Now, there might be some rare instances. There might be a recruit that came here to play quarterback for this quarterback coach or, or whatever. But for the most part, I'd say the school, the head coach, the NIL package is going to vastly outweigh position coaches in, in most scenarios. But with that being said, that's for players that are on your roster already. With the recruiting cycle, man, like and everyone kind of being figured out and in the boat by like the summer these days, 
wasting any days, wasting a week is is really putting yourself behind the eight ball. It does feel like. Sam, either one of these stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think they're both good hires. Um, they both feel like good hires. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to act like I, like I know either one or, you know, that Darrell Sims gets me fired up because we did it at Cincinnati or whatever. But I don't look at either one of these and have any reason to think they're bad hires. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I think you look at, sure, I mean, Cincinnati, maybe it's not the SEC like you're coming into, but it's a Cincinnati team. They rush for 200 yards nine of their 12 games last season. Um, you know, and this is a guy that's had experience at a bunch of different schools. So I think it's important to have a guy that's, you know, had some had some variety kind of in his career and has been in multiple different situations and is, you know, coached kind of all the way up in the ranks. He started at some smaller schools and then kind of got his way up to JMU at the FCS level and then Eastern Carolina and then on to Cincinnati and he's had success everywhere he's gone. So I think you got to feel good about that. But the career trajectory does seem correct there, right? Yeah, in terms 100%. of the way he's grinding up. So, 100%. you know, I, I caught him kind of the, the the younger guy trying to, you know, rise up. That's typically the running backs coach the route they go. And it does seem like his path makes sense. You can connect the dots of jobs he's taken. Now, maybe you could say, like, hey, going from JMU to ECU, maybe that's not necessarily a, a promotion. But then, you know, went to Louisville. And now, of course, from Louisville to, I guess, to go from Louisville to Cincinnati and then, then here. Yeah. Feels like a, a path that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about, you know, his ability to recruit. And that's going to feel like the most important thing for a running back running backs coach for me just because I feel like running back is the easiest position to play in football. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe there's somebody yelling at the radio like, this guy's an idiot. No, it's not the easiest. You have to be able to do this, this, and this. But it feels the simplest to me. Teach ball security. Have some ball security drills. Teach a little run blocking. And and condition. That's what it feels like to me. So, like, in terms of the the on-the-field stuff, I have confidence that he'll be able to get that done. It's just going to come down to whether or not he can recruit. Is there anybody like that stands out in, in his career that he's recruited? Is there anybody? I mean, at those schools, I doubt there's going to be anybody. Exactly. Yeah, he hasn't exactly had the you know the greatest blue chip prospects coming through the ranks. You know where he's been at. So I think it's kind of, you know, maybe that's kind of a, a glass half full approach too. He's getting production out of guys that are probably like three star prospects and stuff like that. If you can throw him into a, a school like Tennessee where we can get some four and five star guys, maybe that production even goes up. He's definitely not proven that side of it. Yeah. And if that's your big question, okay, I got no comeback for that, and I'm not going to try to sell you on Darrell Sims. And I think until he gets here and and lands a couple guys that you're going to have those questions. I also think that Tennessee is well-equipped in the running game department as long as Josh Heupel's here. I think you can find some guys that could be some game breakers but also like you're going to be set up to have some wide open holes i feel like hypo's system kind of recruits some players itself it you should know, like you don't exactly have to have a, a world beater recruiter at your running back position it should you would think so what about linebacker 
linebackers coach. How important is that position? Is it going to be kind of similar of like, hey, the linebackers are kind of like the running backs of of the, the defense? And I don't know if that's the case. I know a lot of them get switched, and you can kind of play both positions, but linebacker feels a little bit more like you need to be coached up and know where you're going and know schemes and all those things. But I'll leave that to kind of the defensive coordinator, it feels like. I feel like with Inge, now maybe he's going to have a hand in, like, you know, helping with the defense and helping prepare. And, you know, maybe this is Tim Banks bringing in another set of eyes and another mind that is used to coordinating defenses. Maybe that's going to be a, a big positive for the defense. Or maybe he brings him here and is like, hey, I know you can recruit. Come here and recruit. But it does feel nice that both positions are filled. It does, it does feel nice just in a sense of competency that Tennessee honed in on some guys, didn't get turned down by anybody that we like really saw, right? I mean, I, I didn't see any public denials. As far as we know, Tennessee went out and targeted a couple guys and, and got one of their first choices at both positions. Yeah. That's that's what I think, you know. Again, we we stated, and it's true. There's there's only so much we know about these guys, but it's nice to say we, you know, in Josh we trust, right? We we feel pretty good about the fact. Again, the fact that they move so quickly tells me that those are not guys they were settling for. Those are those were targets. So um, I, I that does feel good. It'd be, I think it'd feel worse if, you know, two weeks from now they're still looking. Now, it's possible that, you know, they worked the back channels and got – because there were some bigger names that people had thrown out, you know, for the running backs coach's position. Some names people got excited about, looked around with some SEC ties and, you know, of course didn't end up with any of those guys. So I don't know if, if those were names that were thrown out that were legitimate or that, you know, fans were kind of hoping that you target or – or, you know, people that cover the team were kind of saying this, these guys, these names make sense. I don't know, you know, where on Tennessee's list Darrell Sims was. I don't know. I know that, like, it didn't drag on, though. And that you can get back to business. He can get in here and coach, and he can get in here and try to work and take this opportunity, which is, uh, of course, the biggest school and biggest job he has had. And get here and, you know, now have a new recruiting budget, now have new ties and go out there and improve it. There's plenty of jobs, there's plenty of people in industries that just need a big opportunity, right, to do something big. And Tennessee is a big opportunity for really both of these guys. Now, of course, we talked about Inge. He had a chance to go to Alabama. But if you're Sims, this is, the, you know, a big school, your biggest job by far. Anything to the Alabama angle of this, of of Inge deciding to come to Tennessee instead of working with the guy he's already worked with at a school that, you know, is your rival that was a little bit ahead of you in terms – well, not a little bit. It's way ahead of you in terms of prestige over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And, and again, the previous relationship with DeBoer, is there anything to take away from that, Sam? Yeah, it was confusing to me, honestly. I, I was kind of shocked that you got somebody off of, you know, just DeBoer's kind of staff in general and then – mix in the fact that he's been kind of in lockstep with the board for for some years now so I mean I think it's absolutely a positive that he obviously views Tennessee's program and, and the guys that you have kind of on that roster probably as a as an upgrade from probably what he's got right now and he sees that Tennessee is building a program that's on the rise and you know has a chance to do some special things this year and it kind of feels like Alabama is a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a work in progress maybe kind of coming off of 
Nick Saban's retirement and everything like that and trying to establish that groundwork down there in Tuscaloosa. So I think it's a huge positive that somebody leaves Alabama and comes to Tennessee. It does feel surprising, though, right, Bob, to hear to hear that this guy is basically, you know, I don't want to say reneging, but was thought of as going to Alabama and saying, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go to Tennessee instead. Surprising and uh, not going to lie, nice. Um, also, I was just looking at Inge's background, man. He's he's been he's been in the game. Oh yeah, a lot of lot of stops. I mean, and some you know, there's a trajectory there. Northern Iowa to Colorado to San Diego State, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Then the Buffalo Bills for a season, and then that's when he started joining up. I'm guessing with DeBoer, Indiana, Fresno State, and then Washington, and then Alabama for a week or two. Um. So yeah, I. I, I think it. Uh, I'm taking it as a as I'm absolutely taking it as a positive. I think it's uh, it's good to kind of snag one who was going to Alabama just because of it being Alabama. But also, we've talked about how much respect we have for Kalen DeBoer. I mean, if he's bringing him along, he's uh, at every stop like he's had. The guy can clearly coach. So I'm just curious how that. Yeah, I'd love to know that back back office process that was going on, back channel process with uh, banks. Yeah, maybe it was something as simple as like, hey, we'll pay you more money. Yeah. They just want you as an outside linebackers coach and, uh, you know, help with special teams, and we want you to be our main linebackers coach, and we'll pay you. And I don't know. I don't know what the reason was. Alabama moved to Baylor's inside linebackers coach, Robbins, uh, Christian Robinson. That guy, or you know where Alabama's going, but it seems like you know going and grabbing somebody from Baylor isn't necessarily exciting. It's like he's a, it, it's like he's been in the SEC either, though. Is what I'm kind of getting at. Like you know, it's not like you just go and pluck and recycle and take the smaller SEC guys with good ties that recruit and bring them up to a different school. It's you, you kind of go around and, and and try to grab people nationally, I guess. When you say something like that, too, it reminds me of maybe the importance of spring football for these guys they want to get something in place because it was like you said a few minutes ago clearly everybody's moving quick Tennessee moved quick I didn't realize Alabama's already already got somebody in mind I mean they everybody's just on the move and it maybe magnifies how critical um, spring football becomes and we're just around the corner from that well I'm excited to have another good mind on defense Again, I don't know how you can make that a negative with, with, with where he's been and what he's done. And with Darrell Sims, I got no reason to think negatively about it. I, I don't think you have to be optimistic, but it's just kind of a wait and see. And I think he's at a very easy position. He's in a good situation to succeed. And, you know, hopefully Sims doesn't derail the program. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thought I did the dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> derail Sibs, derail the program. <laughs> All right, we'll talk basketball after the break. That was enough of your position coach talk, but the positions are filled, and we're closer and closer and closer to spring football, which means we're closer and closer and closer to real football. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the...
Tennessee basketball back on the hardwood tonight as they head to the Show Me State. Take on Missouri, 7 p.m., which is nice. Thank you, basketball gods, for not making us play at 9 o'clock. Just want to give you a, a big thank you. Thank you to our TV overlords. Thank you, Mickey Mouse. Appreciate it. I'm already thinking about maybe how I can wind down and get in bed by 1030, and it's all because of this, so I appreciate it. Tennessee 12.5-point favorites. Tom Hart, Dane Bradshaw on the call. You surprised by the 12.5-point spread? Honestly, I thought it'd be a little higher. Okay. A little bit, not much, but, I mean, I know it's on the road, but Missouri's pretty bad. I was thinking maybe in the 14-15 range. They do kind of stink. It's another landmine for Tennessee. It's another game where, of course, losing is much worse than winning is good. Winning is expected. It's demanded. No one's going to pat you on the back for going out and taking care of business, but if you lose... You know, you undo a lot of good that you've accomplished so far this year. So it's a it's a bad position to be in as a fan, you know, to sit there and watch. You will have a little bit of nerves. But I expect Tennessee to take care of business. It's not like Missouri is going to be a hostile environment. It's going to be a 6, six o'clock local start. They're ready to get the season over with. <laughs> so hopefully Tennessee comes out and just has another blowout victory to kind of keep this streak rolling. We talked about this st- stretch of basketball being easier. And, you know, Tennessee has responded to the loss at A&M by coming out and, and you know, making the next two opponents look like they should. Make them look silly. And then I got another opportunity tonight to do the same thing to Missouri. Sam, do you think Tennessee covers here? Do you think the 12.5-point spread's too low like Bob does? Are you at all concerned about this game? No, I'm not too con- concerned with this one. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a limping Missouri team. Um, you know, and and like you said, I think you've, you've been able to kind of take care of take care of business against some lesser opponents uh, after that Texas A&M loss. And I think you know this is just a, a spot to me where if you dropped one, it's just bad news, kind of in terms of the next four games that you got upcoming, I guess, or next five that you got upcoming after that. It's just too important of a stretch after this where you can drop this one. This is kind of the last game, though, of the of the next little preseason or whatever sure. you want to look at it, this easy stretch before you get to the real stuff. So, I mean, I, I thought the last couple games, three games, have been a bit of a break. You can look at them like a preseason. You're ramping up to, for the stretch run because after tonight, everything that you – have wanted this season will be in play, right? Like everything that you've wanted, all of your goals, that race for them starts tomorrow, basically. Winning the SEC championship. If you have aspirations to win the SEC tournament, that's up. Then, of course, the March Madness NCAA tournament will be right there behind it. Everything you want to accomplish is in front of you. It's within arm's reach. You control your own destiny. You just got to get through tonight. That's kind of the way I look at it. Just looking over Missouri's roster, 
stinky. Pretty hard cheese, man. It's, uh, you know, I remember Sean East from last season's team. He's their leading scorer. Pretty solid guard. Um, they also have that dude, Nick Honor, who um, maybe you would remember him. I remember him as the guy that looks like he plays in a rec league or something, like at a 30 and older rec league. He's kind of chunky. He's like a 5'10 point guard. You're describing me right now. Well, maybe you should be playing at Missouri. Um, I don't think I'd do very good. <laughs> they have a transfer from Indiana, Tamar Bates, who scores some points. But that, they have one. They have like one big who is seven foot five, and transferred from like somewhere in the Summit League or something. I do like the fact that his jersey number is seventy five. If you get it, seven five, seventy five. Oh, yeah, I get it. But he uh, also averages uh, three points a game and three boards a game. Now, so. do you like the 75 jersey number, or, do, or should it be more like, you know, what, seven times 12? 84. 84, and then, you know, you add five inches. Should it be 89 instead? Because he's 89 inches tall? You might as well go for it. I That's that's a whole topic for another discussion. I, I still don't understand the motivation behind how they started allowing this season, like, football jersey numbers for basketball. Because I always used to have to be in a series of one through – or zero through five. And now I'm seeing guys with, like, number six, this case number 75. Um, so something changed, and I don't have an answer for it, and it bothers me. I don't mind it. I did find myself during the All Star game being like, "Wait, how are they going to keep in? How are they going to keep tabs on fouls? Because Jason Tatum's wears number zero, and so does Halliburton. So who who is zero on the East? There were four zeros on the court at the one time that I was watching. Yeah, really. Yeah, Dame is the third. Who was the fourth? Do you remember? Um, Well, either way, yeah, it comes to you. I didn't realize Dane was number zero. So, yeah, how they keep a track of fouls. I guess that's why they didn't foul. They're like, hey, don't yeah. play defense, guys. We don't want to confuse the refs <laughs> because we, we all have the same number here. Fair enough. Boy, I'd, I'll digress for 20 seconds, but, boy, the writers in Indianapolis are shredding Dame Lillard about his greediness and everything. Really? Yeah, he kind of expected that, though. I mean, you, I mean, you expected that kind of response. But, um, anyway. Sorry, I, again, got off topic, but... Uh, he just kept shooting. He wouldn't pass the ball. No, he wouldn't. I was getting so mad before my Halliburton over 15 and a half cast. I was like, give him the ball, give him the ball. And finally, at least like whenever he hit one, they're like, okay, we'll let you keep shooting until you miss. I, he was on some mission that was all about him. He obviously, he won the three-point shootout. And they said that's the first time that ever happened between winning that and then the MVP of the game. So, he made history. Good for him. Everybody hates him. Um... Yeah, Missouri, God, you look at their – I had to scour Ken Palm. They are 144 on Ken Palm. I mean, it's pretty rough. This is this is one of those – this is – if Tennessee were to lose this game, this is like – this would be a beyond catastrophic loss. It's a landmine game. It's, yeah. it's a seed dropper. Tennessee would go from a two seed to maybe all the way down to a three. Yeah. Maybe, you know, depending on – they, they would lose their margin for error, though. Like, they would have to pretty much run the table, it feels like, to to lock up anything. And it's exciting, though. You know, I'm ready for this game to be over with. I'm hopeful that Tennessee comes out, takes care of business. And then, yeah, we get to the actual season. Because after after tonight, every game is going to feel very important. Now, A&M's not like a gigantic game, but it's a revenge game. 
you know, this weekend. They, they embarrassed you two Saturdays ago. And they kicked your ass. So getting to that one, you know, could feel very important. It's at home. Is that one of your, I guess, your, one of your last three home games? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and then you have Auburn and Kentucky after that. Yeah, so that's going to matter. Hopefully going into Saturday, you're absolutely, like, actually, like, deadlocked and tied with Alabama. I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe Florida can can get them tomorrow night. Maybe. But either way, like, you're down to the, the nitty-gritty when it comes to that race as well. Every game is going to be magnified because for a long time we've been saying, ah, a lot of season left, a lot of season left. After tonight, it's not going to feel that way. It's going to feel like you're in the the stretch run right there for both programs in the SEC race. 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in about tonight's game or about Tennessee's coaching hires. I know it's early in the morning and you might not be wanting to dust off your radio voice, but we'll open the phone lines to you if you want to join in. 865-546-8200. If not, we'll continue the conversation after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Daydream, I fell asleep beneath the flowers for a couple of hours on a beautiful day. Is there a definitive list when you rank Tennessee's games remaining? Like this is at the bottom, right? Oh, yeah. In terms of importance, in terms of. Excitement. This is dead last. Is there a definitive list? Like, do we all have the same number one most important slash most exciting game remaining on Tennessee's schedule? Is what, Bob? That's well, I'd say it's Alabama still. I I think Kentucky's gotten more important, but Alabama's top of the list. Sam, Alabama at the top of the list. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I'm gonna agree. Yeah, I think it's Alabama. Um, but definitely, yeah, I mean, Bob's right. Kentucky playing better now is makes that a lot more interesting. But I still think it's kind of that two-man race between you and Bama. Number two, the second most important and exciting game is what, Bob? Kentucky. Sam, do you agree or disagree? Agree. <laughs> I'm going to take, uh, take Kentucky, yeah. The third most important and exciting game, Bob, is what? I'm a little torn on this one, but I would say I'd say it's still Auburn. Sam, agree or disagree? I think I'll agree. So yeah, so the list is pretty cut and dry, I guess. Yeah. The next one, that's always the most important one. Though. The next one's always yeah, the most important. Yeah, there you tonight. go. That's coach speak. <laughs> you've been you've been doing your homework. Um, well, I disagree. <laughs> Although Missouri, like I mean, it's uh you know, if you lose this one, you, you can maybe argue that it's like the second or third most important just because it's a seed changer. Losing it is very, very bad. By far the worst of uh, the remaining games. Now, losing to A&M wouldn't be great either. That would be, that would be a quad two loss as well. All right, hell, Missouri might be quad three, I guess. They're 147th. So, yeah, I imagine that's quad three. Um, but, yeah, A&M, A&M. Wouldn't be much better losing that one. That would be alarming. South Carolina has become, in just a week's time, now I feel much, much better. Even though it's on the road, I still feel like Tennessee should be able to take care of business there. Well, well, South Carolina was frustrating when you lost to them 
just because I thought it was just you missing shots. Like, they, they play good defense. I don't want to take away from what they can do, but they're not they're not Houston like we watched last night. They're not Houston. Right. They're not a defense that actually, like, shuts you down. Tennessee just couldn't make a shot around the rim. A lot of those were kind of uncontested that, yeah. and open threes that they just didn't hit. It's like, Tennessee, I don't think, is going to go in and drop 100 at South Carolina, but – Tennessee should go in there and be able to score in the 70s, and South Carolina shouldn't be able to do that with you. So, like, it's still going to be a quad one opportunity. But, yeah, South Carolina is is going to be fighting for their life at this point, I feel like, when you get to that game. So you're going to get their best shot, obviously, as they try to salvage their season, make sure they punch their ticket, and, of course, you know, try to get a double buy in the SEC. Tennessee up to number five in the new AP poll that came out yesterday. Yeah, pretty universal. Five on coaches poll, too, I believe, right? Um, so it feels right, number five? I think so. Um, so I'm trying to th- – so we've got, obviously, UConn, Houston, Purdue – now, now it escapes me who's number four. Arizona. Arizona. That's the one I still – I know they're playing well. That's the one I'm still – and we've been talking about Arizona as somebody to kind of measure our progress against. I don't know. I'm not – I think Tennessee could be easily a four ranking, but – Yeah, I don't know how wide the gap is between Tennessee and Arizona when it comes to the final one seed. I also don't know how important that is. I don't know where – if you're guaranteed to go west, do you want that one seed? Maybe. Just because if you do stay out of the west and you're a two seed, you're guaranteed to play – or be matched up with Houston, Purdue, or UConn. Meanwhile, if you go out west, you'll probably be the one seed and Arizona will be the two seed. So – you know, I don't know if you look at that as a detriment. Like in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, I mean, I imagine Tennessee fans, if they get there, they they will travel. Like, I'll go out to L.A. It's obviously a little bit easier for travel for Arizona, of course. But, like, I wouldn't worry about going to L.A. and not being, like, represented or be like a, being, like, a road team or anything. So, do you think the fourth one seed is actually, like, really important, Bob? Just from a prestige perspective, I think it is important, but I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure it matters that much from a standpoint of uh, the you know the travel aspect and everything else. I, I, I'll tell you what, I, what I don't like is how they're situating Tennessee right now again in both you know both Lenardi and Palm's bracketology of them feeding into the east and same bracket as UConn. That's my only concern. I would. In that case, yes, I'd rather go west if I could be a one seed, and you know, because right now they've got, you know, Arizona as a one seed, Kansas as a two seed out west. I'd love to have another shot at Kansas. I think the one seed could be very important just because yeah. you, you, the two, the, the potential elite eight matchups just so much more favorable if you're the one because yeah. you wouldn't be matched up with UConn or or Purdue, and or I don't Houston. know how you guys feel about Houston. I, I think Tennessee matches up fine with them. Now it just would come down to who's tougher. Yeah, and like it'd be like the FAU game on steroids a little bit last year, and like the, those those guys at Houston are dogs, kind of like FAU was, and they punked you. 
I like to think this team's a little bit different, but in the back of my mind, a lot of the guys that were soft last year are still on this team. Now, can Meshack and Awaka counteract that? Maybe, but Meshack was in your starting lineup last year at the end of the season. It wasn't like he was able to kind of match their intensity either or at least get the other guys on his team to come with him to match their intensity. After watching Houston last night and Jamal Shedd, I'm thinking of a matchup in him, with him and Zakai. Man, he would uh, – that would be uh, – again, it would remind me of Texas A&M where we talked about their guards definitely exerted their physical superiority over Zakai. I could see a little of that happening against Houston, but um, – but I agree with you. I think UConn and Purdue, even though Purdue lost this weekend, those are still the two teams that are – I still feel they're kind of far and away the the elite, and I would not want to play them in Elite Eight. I'd love to, you know, not have them standing in my way of a Final Four. But that's 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 where I stand. I, again, if it were – you know, if all things played out the way that these brackets portray, and it doesn't usually work that way, but if they did – I'd still love to be playing someone like Kansas or even Marquette. Marquette's tough. They can be tough on a given night, but they've also shown they can get blown out. It does seem like the quality between the one and the two seeds are, at least the way I sit here and look at them, they feel drastically different. Yeah. Unless Tennessee goes out west and gets to play Arizona. Right now, if you go to Bracket Matrix, which, take, which takes all of the bracketologies and kind of mesh them together, they have Tennessee ranked as the the second number two or the 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 number one number two seed, so the top two seed, the the team that's right there behind Arizona. Although it is kind of definitive, no one right now is claiming Tennessee as a one seed on all of the brackets all kind of put together, which is kind of surprising. Like Arizona. And Houston and, of course, UConn and Purdue are pretty much unanimous as your one seeds right now. It is interesting, though. So would your, would your belief be, again, if we're just looking at the, the, the two primary that people refer to with Lenardi and Palm, again, Tennessee going into the East against UConn, that, that feels a lot like they've – would that feel like Tennessee's the – the lowest seeded two seed? Well, I think they don't really do it that way in terms of the, the S curve per se. I think you saw Lenardi, for example, he had Tennessee as I think his sixth two seed and he had them matched up with his second best team in Purdue. Or I guess at the time, maybe Purdue had already taken number one, but was just doing more like, Hey, this, this is a regional benefit for Tennessee. Yeah. If you're doing straight S-curve, then, yeah, Tennessee should get to go to the West and play Arizona, which I think all of us would lock in. Absolutely. I'll go to L.A. No big deal. So, yeah, hopefully, like, if you're looking at, like, geographically versus matchup, I think we'd all side with matchup, right? Yeah. In terms of the best draw for the Final Four, I think we would rather have that. I think. Now, maybe people that wouldn't hop on a plane and, and fly to L.A., but that would be willing to drive to Detroit, maybe they would have a different answer, but... Yeah, you might have less of a fan following, but I I think from the matchup perspective, I agree with you a hundred percent. I would, I'd rather I'd rather go west and the way it's shaping up right now. The good and bad news, if you're wanting your one seed, is Arizona's remaining schedule. Washington State, who is ranked number twenty-one, 
Washington at Arizona State, Oregon at UCLA at USC. The bad news is all those teams kind of stink. They're probably not going to lose another one. The good news is if they do lose, it'll be deemed a really bad loss. And it would drop you. It would drop Arizona below Tennessee. Even if Tennessee loses one, I think it would still probably flip the seed. So that's the good and bad news. The schedule's really easy. They might not lose again. But if they do, it'll hurt. Hour one in the books. We'll kick off hour two with some things you might have missed from the night before. We call it about last night. Stick with us. Ever been the coach?